<laughs> yeah, let me um stop my video real fast so I can put on a different color headband. I like that color. Oh my gosh, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> can we leave this in? <laughs> yes, we should. This is this is very typical friends with froze. Right this now. is probably a solid 30 minutes. <laughs> My name is Megan. I'm Jess. And we are Friends, Friends with Bros. Welcome to our podcast, Don't Worry About My Hair. This podcast is a platform to talk about experiences from the perspective of two young adult black women on topics that influence our lives every day, including relationships, health and wellness, entertainment, careers, and so much more. We hope this space offers relatable conversations while providing some inspiring content to support your growth. I'm so excited about this. Jess, are you excited? I'm so hyped. Woo! So, Right now, it is the month of September. Mm-hmm. September is a special month. Mm-hmm. It is Sickle Cell Awareness Month, okay? So for those of you who are unaware about sickle cell, I'm going to give you a couple stats, but we got more information coming. Um, approximately 70,000 to 100,000 Americans have sickle cell disease. It's the most common in form of inherited blood disorder. The disease, which is present in people when they're born, causes the production of abnormal hemoglobin. Now, if you're not a medical professional, these words might sound a little funny, okay? But hemoglobin is pretty much your red blood cells in your body, all right? Now, red blood cells kind of look like a little donut without the the hole in it, but there's a little divot there, and they're supposed to carry oxygen. If you have sickle cell, some of your red blood cells do not look like that. They literally look like sickles, okay? They look like kind of like sharp-edged C's, boomerangs, if you will, okay? I'm coming up maybe with all the Maybe a crescent. Or maybe a crescent. <laughs> hint, hint. Um, so I will post some images up so you guys can see what that actually looks like under a microscope. But <clears throat> with that being said, we have a very special guest here today to talk to us. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> so <laughs> our friend's name is Kyle. We consider him a friend without a fro. <laughs> um, he has personal experience with sickle cell and currently is on a really powerful path to bring some awareness to the disease and awareness to the needs of the population affected by a sickle cell. So we wanted to invite him on to speak about some of his experiences and tell us what he is doing now. So everybody, welcome Kyle. Hi, Kyle. <laughs> wow, wow. What what an amazing introduction. What an amazing that was introduction. a deep introduction. I was like, that was. Snap, Megan. No, I went man. for it. I went you, for it. You 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 got it. You you went you went for it and, and you got it. That was super, super uh just informative. You hit everything on the head uh, in terms of sickle cell disease, hemoglobin, a protein, uh carrying oxygen throughout the blood. Um yeah, you you hit everything. Thank y'all for having me on. I am. I do have something to say though. I, I so I have two beefs. Two oh. beefs. I know I'm coming in hot. I'm coming in hot. I'm gonna put my braids up. Yeah, I know. Where the Vaseline at? All right. Continue. So first, Megan, I listened to the last episode, and I just really didn't understand uh, your 
your disappointment with Hamilton, you know? I like, oh, okay. Kyle, Kyle, <laughs> I just please, like, please was, tell her. Like, they went through the unimaginable, you the know? Unimaginable. They, they, <laughs> they went through the unimaginable. Y'all are really and, doing this right now. And, and literally, so, I mean, pe- people know I tweet about myself crying at home by myself <laughs> and, like, watching emotional things. I, like, you know, you really, it, outside of the very uh, glaring, everyone is a slave owner aspect. <laughs> Besides that point, yes, keep going, keep going. Aside of that, great, great production. Seriously, great thank great you, play. Kyle. Thank <laughs> you, um, Kyle. My, my second- I'm gonna let y'all have this moment. <laughs> my, my second beef is, um, I'm a friend, and I think I'm the only one with a fro currently. <laughs> I was, when Megan said that, <laughs> like, I literally was y'all. like, oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Both of us out here with these microwaves, with these box braids, braids. Great, you know, it's I, fine. I love it. I, I love it, but I, I just, I, I maybe is it a, is it you have to be a black woman to be a friend with a fro, no. which is fine. Was, That's great. Who's a friend you know? with a fro? Okay. Megan, you right. Adjust that. Okay. You're right. Megan. I'm sorry. So, yeah. We work with Kyle, and we consider him a friend with a fro. Now she's sensitive because you called out her Hamilton thing. I sure am. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's, it's a valid reason. You don't have to be into it. Like this late, like I, I couldn't get into George Washington just knowing, you know, his very um, staunch, like his, his policies and views on slave ownership and um, took don't me out of it a little Kyle. bit. But, don't slip, Kyle. But no, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I enjoyed, I enjoyed the, you know. Being, yes. Yeah, we yeah, enjoyed yeah. it for the theatrical production it was sure. and the music as well. Okay. Yep. Anywho, Kyle. Y- y'all can keep that. <laughs> we'll keep it. But meanwhile, Kyle, can you tell us about yourself? Like, where are you from? Where did you grow up? What you doing now? Sure, sure. So um, I grew up here in Philadelphia. Uh, West Philly, please no no Fresh Prince jokes. Oh, um, I <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> I, was like, I was taking a deep breath to go there. Me too. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm homegrown. You know, grew up in West Philly. Uh, went to was in the Catholic school system here from kindergarten to to twelfth grade. Um, went to Temple. Sidebar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Temple Owls. So me and Jess Temple Owls Temple, uh, together. Yes, uh, probably at the same ran time. Ran into each other. Nope. Never ran into each. Like we're frequent similar parties. Yeah, um, the brown people stuck together. So exactly. it's funny that we never actually ran into each other. Yeah, no, it's like we were in each other's uh, like the space, but we just like yes. never ran into each other. Yes, um, baffles so, me. <laughs> went to Temple, graduated, was working for a digital marketing agency for a little bit, um, and then decided, you know, I just wanted to like do what I loved, which was um, work with children who were impacted by different life-threatening illnesses. Um, so I started working for an organization uh, here in Philadelphia, which is how I met you two, um, you know, at uh, a provider. Um, and we were bring different games and activities and events and, you know, just really, really rich work uh, in terms of fostering relationships with patients, families, and, and also staff members. Um, so I was doing that for a little bit and was just trying to really figure out what I, I wanted to make a bigger impact. You know, I wanted mm. to figure out how, you know, what, what next step did, did I want to take? Um, and I knew I wanted to kind of stay in the space of like philanthropy and nonprofit and um, just really giving back and, and having, you know, uh, those 
those good warm and fuzzy feelings, I guess, um, and decided to go to grad school. Uh, so I went to grad school part-time here at Penn, was able to still work um, while doing so, graduated, uh, and am now a major gifts officer um, at a university here. And I'm soliciting alum uh, for major major gifts that are $25,000 and above, uh, and just really trying to figure out what they want their impacts to be, you know, which is which is cool on a university. Um, and also, I guess, kind of in the same time, um, had been working on on this project, uh, this nonprofit, uh, Crescent Foundation, mm-hmm. for about four years now. So it started in like 2016. Oh wow! Um, so yeah, so like that's something a, a little bit like about the start of of this journey. Yeah. Wow. Hi. I did not know uh, any of that about you. So that is very cool to hear. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Also talk about no joke on the homegrown. I think it's funny because me and Megan are both implants here, right? So it's Mm -hmm. nice to hear from someone who born and raised West Philadelphia, born and raised (laughs) and um, then maintained their connection to their community to continue Mm -hmm. to make a difference here in ways that, there, those differences weren't able to be made for you. So that's really actually cool to hear about and talk about with you. Yeah, no, for sure. It's, it's crazy. Um, so actually the, the place that we're, you know, we all work together at one point is where actually mm-hmm. I got my pediatric care. Right. So, wow. um, I was actually born at uh, a hospital that is very close to that hospital, um, <laughs> that <laughs> I, I was born there, uh, and I was diagnosed with sickle cell disease at three weeks, right? And I was diagnosed wow. in 1989. Mm-hmm. So it was 2020 now, I'm 31 years old. Um, Ooh, and I, I, I'm fortunate, <laughs> yeah, 31, living it up. I always encourage those who uh, are living with sickle cell disease to, to tell us, you know, what their age is. I know it's, um, you know, not polite to ask a woman what her age is, but mm-hmm. I encourage every, you know, everyone living with sickle cell disease to to really be proud of, of how, how old you are, you know, because um, it's a testament to, to just, um, us being able to to not only survive with this this disease but also thrive with it. Um, yeah. So, 1989, uh, the government had just mandated newborn screening for sickle cell disease, and the hospital hmm. had just implemented uh, that that mandate. Right. Um, so, my mom, one of seven, uh, all all girls, they had told her, hey, like, have your, have your baby at this hospital. This is where we all had our babies. And she was like, no, I'm going to this very specific hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and fortunately, she did. Um, because like I said, diagnosed at three weeks, at three months, had my first major health complication uh, where wow. my spleen actually filled with blood. Um, and I had to get what they call like a splenic sequestration. Um, so they could just like kind of like get the blood out of there. But um, yeah, uh, so fortunate, everything just kind of lining up in terms of uh, me being born at a specific hospital, being diagnosed at a very early age, it, literally infancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, as my mom likes to say, hitting the ground running, right? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been uh, to go back. The hospital that we worked at is the hospital where I got my care and it was really trippy at first, like walking those yeah. halls and, and remembering, cause I was a really, really sick kid, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, just having people would call me like, quote unquote, the mayor there, because like, I knew all of these people <laughs> like who had worked there for <laughs> yeah. years, you know, like yeah. you, you built as, as a, someone 
a kid who has a chronic illness or uh, you know a life-threatening disease, when you grow up in the hospital system, everybody mm-hmm. becomes your community, right? Yeah. You know, mm. it's 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 not just the the providers who are doing like like direct care, right? You know, like child life mm-hmm. specialists or nurses or doctors, right? It's it's security, it's security, yeah. it's uh, environmental, it's yeah. you know, it, it's administrative. Everyone yeah. becomes your community. Um, so I had like kind of re-entered this community that I hadn't been a part of um, for so long, and you know, people they they wouldn't recognize me or some people did recognize me. Um, and when they did, they wouldn't ask, they would say, oh my goodness, you look so great. But like their first real uh, comment or question was, how's your mom? You know, because like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he was part of their community too, right? Part yeah. Of their community too, right. And like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm sick. Uh, and you know, I'm in the room while like my mom is out there fiercely advocating on my behalf mm-hmm. to get, you know, the care and proper treatment that I needed. So I always tell her that, um, uh, like, hey, you know, people, people love me um, and, and, you know, care about me, but like, they are always asking about you. They're just like, oh, mm-hmm. like, how's your mom? And I'm just like, you know, she's, she's, she's fine. Still, still, you know, mm-hmm. doing mom things and asking me to do things that <laughs> like get on my nerves and like all of these things. But um, yeah, so it, it was, it was a, a cool uh, experience those, those six years being at the hospital that I got my pediatric care from. Wow. It's very interesting to hear that because I think we all, me and Megan, I know I definitely, as soon as you said that, I can definitely think of the kids that I call the mayors at the hospital, like Uh kids that are frequent flyers or kids that like our staff know really well, or like, so it's funny hearing your perspective as, as one of the mayors, because like, I, like you said, like you just, that person becomes a part of the, the culture. Like, you know, the unit is familiar with them between environmental, like, like everybody knows them. So that's so interesting that you say that and like, just have that perspective. Um, yeah, it's not, and it's not a good thing to be the mayor. As the outsider, I'm like, oh, the mayor, he was so cute. Like, but right. that, yeah. that kid was probably like, stop it. <laughs> right. I want to go sure. home. Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and also like, it's, like I said, it's not a good thing to, to be quote unquote, the mayor or for people to like, for security to, to know what the car looks like and just like wave you on in, you know, and like, they don't have to ask you you know, who are, who you are and stuff like that. Yeah. that that's, that's never uh, a good thing. Um, unfortunately, uh, that was just where our, my health was at that point in time mm-hmm. um, within my childhood. Um, so, so yeah. And, and just being, um, like I said, being able to, to be at that pediatric hospital where I was cared for um, just reignited um, what was one of the things that really reignited my, my passion to, to work with the sickle cell disease community. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Thank you. That, whew, all of that was. I know. Super Three and three. Oh my God. Three months to have your first like serious medical intervention. Like how do you even like, again, <clears throat> as child life, we're all about like educating kids. Like how did you even, when did you, when do you think you understood what was going on in your body and with your health? Like clearly three months is young. So like, <laughs> when did that yeah. actually happen? Um, I want to say when I was around like five or six, uh, I really knew just everything in terms of uh, what my disease was, what it was called, how it impacted me, um, what medications I was on. My mom was very, uh, she was very adamant about me knowing what I took, you know, Mm. um, how much of what I took. Um, And rightfully so, right? You know, when I was maybe 
eight or nine, uh, I remember a nurse almost gave me too much, too much morphine, you know, uh, and I knew that it wasn't the right amount because it, I didn't know the measurements, but I could see like in, within the syringe, you know, that it was like way more than I was used to taking. And I stopped her, you know, and I was just like, Oh, like that, this doesn't look right. You know? Uh, and she like went back and checked and was just like, you know, made a mistake and we're all human, but that if I didn't know at that point in time, um, just what it was, uh, in terms of, you know, what I was used to, to receiving, um, in terms mm-hmm. of my, my medications and being educated on that. Um, it, who knows what would have happened? I don't, right. let's like, let's not even like, you know, imagine yeah. what that could have done. Oh, wow. Holy. That is a, such a message for parents <laughs> of mm-hmm. taking care of children like this, because I think we always preach that too, of like, um, teaching families to advocate for themselves and then in turn the parents te- uh, teaching the child how to ad- advocate for themselves because that's extremely impor- important if you were a shy child or a child that didn't feel comfortable speaking up that mm-hmm. moment could have slipped by and like you said we don't even want to go into what could have happened to you but that's massively important that you had that level of understanding and comfortability to be able to advocate for yourself in mm-hmm. moments like that especially yeah. as a um, child yeah yeah what other types of procedures, experiences did you have while growing up uh, within the hospital setting, I guess? Yeah, no. So sickle cell, um, it, it can cause a lot of uh, painful, these would be called pain crises. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, we were talking about like those red blood cells and, and how they are usually like, so we all have red blood cells that are circular and disc shaped and squishy and like just flow through our our veins, right? Um, but for sickle cells, you know, like uh, those circular uh, and, and disc-shaped and squishy cells can sometimes, like like you said, turn rigid and hard and, and crescent-shaped and, and you know uh, and block blood flow. Um, and you know when it starts to to block that blood flow, it causes inflammation, um, which in turn, like there's a whole different level of like pathophysiology that you know like I am very lay on I, I'm just like you know I'm I'm not a scientist you know like that's not my area of expertise um but it, it co- which causes uh the the pain crises um but there are other other issues and, and complications that can arise right like um organ damage uh stroke um you know so many different other issues I used to experience, um, it's called an acute chest, which is uh, a sickle cell crisis of the lungs. It's when your lungs actually fill up with like a type of, I feel like maybe mucus. Um, and it's just very painful to breathe. And, you know, it's very, mm. was, you know, was a, one of the main serious complications that I faced when I was a kid. Um, and it's just like hard to breathe, you know, and painful and, and, um, so that, that was one of the things that I faced a lot. Um, I had, uh, you know, ve- like hundreds and hundreds of, of hospitalizations due to just very random and, and, and strange oddities, um, you know, uh, in terms of what was I have, I had a crisis, I remember in my face. Um, and I would, cause I was in the hospital at the time, fortunately, I was in the hospital at the time and I woke up and I felt like somebody had like, maybe like hit me in the face with a brick. Um, and I just kept mm. telling people like, Hey, like I told my mom, I told her nurse and literally within like an, an hour and a half, my face swole up. So oh, wow. it's like, it looked like I was a professional boxer. Right. Oh <laughs> so, it, um, but 
there were, yeah, there were just like a lot of different uh, complications throughout, throughout my, my childhood um, and experiencing different complications within adulthood that I'm still trying to get used to and, and used to talking about as well. Um, yeah. But uh, it's, it's really, and we could talk about this later too, but it's just the healthcare system um, really was just trying to get those patients who were kids living with sickle cell disease to, to grow up and be adults. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. they never accounted for what it, our care would look like when we got to adulthood, right? right. Um, and, and um, you know, I always like to say, I'll, I'll give the healthcare system a little bit of, of uh, grace, just a little bit, like they don't need a lot, just a, <laughs> literally like, the, like the, the smallest amount you can think of, right? Because um, a lot of people, a lot of kids weren't living, you know, into their adulthood, right. into mm-hmm. or there wasn't like a huge group for, for those to a pool to study, right? Yeah. And they, like this is how we need to to be able to treat adults living with sickle cell disease. Um, so that's my grace for the healthcare system, but also just knowing that sickle cell is such an individualistic disease. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. Um, it, it's it it impacts um, people so differently. There are uh, the most there are four common types of of sickle cell here in the U.S. Right. So there's sickle cell SS. There's sickle cell SC. There's sickle cell um, S beta plus and there's sickle cell S beta zero. Um, and all of those, as we're learning, um, have, they, they impact you differently, right? Mm. Um, and even if you don't have, like, if I have SS and let's say like Jess has like um, SC, um, yeah, we'll have different, we'll have different outcomes in, in terms of our health. But if I have SS and, and Megan has SS, we'll still have like different outcomes and right. what we experience with our disease, right? So there are just like so many different, um, so many unknowns still that that people are really uncovering in terms of this disease. Wow. Hmm. How does, I'm like, so I'm very unfamiliar. And I think uh, Megan might have a little more experience just in my area that I work in and like, um, the populations I interact with, I very rarely, like usually it's a, 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 like a, if it's, if it's a diagnosis, it's not something they're specifically treating when that patient's on my unit. Like it might be just a a comorbid diagnosis, but not something that I understand a lot. Like, so I think I was unfamiliar with like how it happens. Like what are, like, is it one of those, like, it just happens to be in your body or are there more people that are predisposed to getting diagnosed or having sickle cell trait like how does this how does it happen and or if you have this knowledge how is it yeah i just sometimes i'm like how did that even happen to the blood like how did that even get there yeah yeah no for sure i mean so i'm i'm not a disclaimer i'm not like a scientist i'm not a geneticist i'm not i'm I'm none of those things i just live with this disease and and have my knowledge um hopefully it's correct that's my only hope is to to put the Mm -hmm. proper things out there and if i don't have the proper things i I feel like i won't comment on them um i I will comment on this and saying that you you know sickle cell is a genetic disease right so that means that your parents have to be carriers of of either the disease or the trait right Mm -hmm. um so for me, my my mom had the trait, um, and she knew she had the trait. She asked my dad. Um, he said, "No, I don't have the trait." Unfortunately, he he wasn't lying. He just like didn't know, right? Yeah. Um, and and uh, but he had to have had the trait, right? Because I I'm here. So so yeah. So about one in I believe thirteen black people 
here in the U.S. have sickle cell trait. Wow. Yeah. One in 13. That's One in 13, like according to the CDC. people in a classroom. Yeah. And yeah. In, yeah, exactly, right? So, so and one in like 16,000 um, plus, 16,000 plus, I think it's 16,300 uh, Hispanic people have sickle cell trait, right? Mm. So, so That's significantly different. It's significantly different. Um, so let's 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 backtrack. So sickle cell disease is a global disease, right? It it, mm-hmm. it, it impacts people from all different types of backgrounds and ethnicities. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a global disease. Uh, when we're talking about here within the U.S., it's a black people disease. It impacts brown people highly as well, um, but pre- but predominantly black. Um, mm-hmm. And about one in 365 people who are black have sickle cell disease, right? You know, so <laughs> yeah, so like, so yeah. it's just like there. And I, I believe these are statistics from the CDC. If I'm misquoting, I, I don't believe I am, but that's, these are, you go on the CDC's website, this is what you'll see. Um, Incredible. But yeah. that's like, it's statistically known that it affects black people more. Like, why is that? What happened? What's the, what's, is it the melanin? <laughs> so, so, so initially, so initially, uh, you know, it was, um, comes from Africa, uh, and okay. it was designed, it was just our body as evolution, you know, uh, sickle cell protects those, um, from malaria, right? So it was a protective oh. design to, to protect us from, mm-hmm. from malaria. Um, okay. and, and yes, th- so that's as far as I will get into like the whole, no, that's, like, that's like genetic, that's and, you know, because <laughs> I, I'm just trying to put like the proper information out there and, no, um, but that's I, you know, I, I have my, my strengths in terms of sickle cell disease and, and I'm still working on, you know, like the background and the history and you know, like how it impacts like the, the different traits and stuff and, and how that really impacts us. Um, but you know, I just like, I don't, in just to, it. In caution, I want to, you know, like we can, we can. So these are good basics because I think yeah. I didn't mm-hmm. understand the basics of it. Like even knowing about the traits or even like just thinking about, well, that makes sense. Like it, it started out as a protective genetic situation because in Africa, the malaria, the, the chances of malaria being contracted is so high. So to protect our bodies, yes, there's this trait. We come over here where malaria is not, well, we don't come. We're brought over here where malaria is not as prevalent. We did not come on a cruise ship. Okay. Um, and we, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't migrate over here. No, no. Was not yeah, a, yeah, it yeah. was not the great no migration. migration. I, okay. I was talking to a friend today and he was like, yeah, I mean, if we put it in perspective, we were trafficked. It was like human traffic. Yes, you it was. I mean? That's so, exactly it. Yeah. Right. And our bodies were not prepared to be trafficked in a country that did not have malaria as a large concern. So now here we are and our bodies are not prepared for it. So that's, that's helpful, at least for me to understand even just the basics. So I'm like, why, why is it all as black people? Like, and then I'm sure there are other situations, you know, we could probably go back to the eighties and like drug, like other things that then also increase the chances of the trait. I guess, but like, that's good for me to know the basics. I liked, I liked just the basic blocks. I don't need the, yeah. the scientific things, but yeah. And, and also just like, um, just in terms of uh, people really trying, you know, there have been efforts made by like the Black Panthers to, to help people become aware of whether or not they have the trait to, to, yeah. you know, to prevent. Um, unfortunately, this was uh, an initiative that they failed on and uh, because they didn't just have the proper information 
on all of the different types of traits to test for, right? So it, it wasn't, you know, uh, like they they were testing for a very specific trait, uh, from my understanding, uh, allegedly, um, and and they just missed uh, a lot of other traits that could still lead to people having sickle cell disease. So you know, we have you know we have like our our elders who, you know, are like and aunties and uncles who are um, like, you know, no, I, I know I don't have sickle cell, you know, I don't have the trade or anything like that. And, you know, I got tested for that, you know, and they, pro- and they probably did. Unfortunately, it, it, the testing wasn't done properly or correctly. Um, mm. And what my hope is, uh, is that people, people get tested for this trait, right? Um, because, uh, it's called an electrophoresis test. You can go and and, and get one um, and and see what your status is because I'm sure like a lot of people don't know. You know, uh, yeah, it right. really yeah. has impact on. It can have a, a significant impact on your future in terms right. of, um, you know, family planning. Uh, yes. in, in in terms of you know like, uh, your 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 child potentially having a trait and passing it down as well. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. so there there are just like so many different layers, uh, and and my hope. I have this restaurant theory, right? Um, is that you know we so say the three of us walk into a restaurant and and there are ten people there and we ask all ten people, hey, like, do you know what diabetes is? Chances are all ten people are going to say, yep, I know what diabetes is. Um, we ask those same ten people, you know, do you know the different types of diabetes? Chances are we'll be generous. Like nine people out of that ten will say, yes, there's type one diabetes, there's type two diabetes. All right, let's ask those same nine people. All right, can you tell me? what what type what was the differences between type one diabetes and type two diabetes? Let's say eight out of those nine are going to say, you know what, type one really it impacts children mo- mostly. Um, and type two uh, is due to social determinants of health and, you know, in terms of whether you may be overweight um, and is more geared towards adults, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we walk into that same restaurant we ask 10 people, do you know what sickle cell disease is? Mm. All 10 people say yes. <laughs> you know, like we ask those same 10 people, do you know the different, the, the four most common traits of sickle cell disease here in the US? They say, yep, it's SS, SC, S beta thou, excuse me, S beta plus, S beta zero. Um, can you tell me what the differences are between those four? I don't know the differences between these four. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can tell you right now, it's going to be exactly. a no from so, everybody. But, yeah. but, that's the, but that's the dream, right? That's the hope right. is, is for like people to just know and be educated and be aware um, of this disease that, um, you know, is truly, truly uh, devastating to, to so many. Yes. Yeah. I, oh I was saying earlier, as a, as a nurse, we learned about sickle cell in school, but we did not spend a whole bunch of time on it. So from what I can remember, it was, and I feel like I maybe had a little bit more of an experience with it, just being Black and knowing people with e- who either had a trait or who actually had sickle cell disease. You know, I at least had some background knowledge on it, where I feel like a lot of people didn't. But the things that stood out to me were, yes, it affects Black people. If you're black, make sure you know your status if you have the trait. Um, and these people will come into the hospital for pain crisis. Please give them pain meds. Don't be racist. That was kind of like the, the glossing over of it. And it wasn't until I was working currently as a professional. Um, I worked in an aphoresis unit, which 
uh, I had never even heard of the term apheresis before mm-hmm. uh, moving here. And that, yeah, there they were doing all these different types of therapies with uh, patients who had sickle cell disease, some of which included um, pulling the sickle cells out and replacing uh, with packed red blood cells, which once again, mm-hmm. I had never even seen yeah. or heard of. And it was magical to see, you know, someone who is six years old who'd had multiple strokes, who's still taking their meds every mm-hmm. single day, but still having to mm-hmm. come in every three to six weeks for this therapy to get those mm-hmm. sickle cells pulled pulled off of them um, via apheresis process. So uh, I felt like, oh man, I, you know, just grew in knowledge for that. But it was very interesting to see like 90% of the patients that came in were definitely black. Yes. And then, yeah, the next subgroup, if you will, was, um, we had some Hispanic patients come in, but I was just wondering, like, especially the young ones, I'm like, what kind of experiences have they had and what kind of experiences will they have if they continue on this journey? So something that's just interesting to me was like the racial experiences in specific. Have you had any of those racial experiences as a child, as an adult in relation to your sickle cell disease? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, to answer your question, yes. Uh, that there is so that's so much to to unpack to what you just said. One, I know there's a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, like I, I, so. Um, I want to hit on like the apheresis, right? Because I used to get apheresis, and like it is. I don't like you have to really witness it to to yeah. like to because it's like something. It's incredible the, when they're taking out the sickle cell. It's like the the bag. Um, that the blood is going into, you know, it's like red at the top, but at the bottom, it's like all of this, like, I guess, yellow sickle cells, like, and you can, or you have, you're a nurse, so you probably have like the the language for it, but it's like a, just a different type of um, color within that bag, right? Um, that is being pulled off of, out of the person who has sickle cell disease. And they're being, like you said, um, so you have like, you know, it's usually two arms <laughs> uh, that are, are, you need like very large needles to go into. Ginormous <laughs> needles. I've seen right, it so, for the it's, first it's time pain, this so year. Painful, yeah. So it's, it's, pain, it's a painful treatment. Yeah. So I want to shed light on like, it, it, it's a, it's a painful treatment that, um, you know, these kids, like you said, they're, they're getting young kids, young, right. Um, they, they aren't, they're what? asked to like not move for like right. three to four hours. Right. Yeah. And they're mm-hmm. not to move their arms and, and to just lay in this chair for three to four hours, uh, and to have his treatment be done, to have these two giant needles in their arm and have his treatment, I mean, this treatment to be done, um, to have, you know, blood coming in and blood going out. Um, mm-hmm. and I just think that's like, it's just science is, is, is wild and always wild. Kind of trips me out. And, and, you know, I'm just like always in awe. So I wanted to to really hit on that because, um, yeah, it is very special to like witness. Um, uh, but in terms of you, your, your training, uh, for a nurse and and how you say they kind of just gloss over it, you know, like they hit the basics, like, yep, it affects a lot of black people. Um, yep. They need pain medicine. Yep. Don't be racist. (laughs) You know, like that's like, that's a lot of, that's a lot to, uh, uh, there's so much there, right? <laughs> Wait, what? There I'm is. Sorry. <laughs> so why does it? Why does it only impact black people? You know, yeah, or like uh-huh. a majority of black people. Um, you know, why? Why do they need pain medicine? Um, mm-hmm. Why? Why? You know, like, uh, and okay, let's just say that I'm already not racist. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, cool. Like, but 
am I supposed to just, if I am racist, is that just supposed to go away? <laughs> you know, right. if I really have biases, um, are, are those just supposed to be like shed off of me? Um, and that's one of the things that, yeah, like, uh, they're just, they're just asking <laughs> they you to just do go away because they no told more. you to. Yeah. Like, Thank you for telling me, bring in the kid with sickle cell. I'm not racist now. <laughs> Morphine for exactly. everybody. Yes. Yeah. 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 No, it, it's, it's just so much. It's, it's wild to me. And it's one of the things that I'm really proud of, of Crescent Foundation in terms of, we have a program called One Gene, One Life, where we actually, it's an immersion program where we actually go into uh, different med schools and nursing conferences uh, and different healthcare, um, just uh, educational opportunities and humanize the disease, right? So we'll yeah. usually have two people who are living with sickle cell uh, go to, to this genetics course. Let's say we had we were talking to med students um, at Penn um, in their genetics course about wow. maybe a couple of weeks ago. So we have two people who are living with the disease go there. And we also have a doctor go there. Um, to, you know, like provide like the medical aspect. But what we're trying to do is humanize the disease, tell our stories. Um, we have one of my dear, dear friends who um, <laughs> makes the med students cry every time, <laughs> you know, with her story and just her journey. Um, and, and, you know, we're really encouraging these future leaders of medicine to take a vested interest in in sickle mm -hmm. cell disease, right? And even if we don't encourage them to, to go into sickle cell disease, what we are doing is saying we're preparing the future ER doc um, yeah. to have like that entry point of, of someone who's living with this disease. So mm -hmm. when uh, a patient comes in, you know, in, in full crisis and is mm -hmm. knows the exact amount of opioid that they need to like mm -hmm. get through this pain crisis. Mm -hmm. They're not looking at them like they have three heads and are drug seeking and you know are stigmatized right. and all of these things, right? That we experience. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I I really love that about our one gene one life program. And um I'm excited to to see how we're able to really just go deeper here into our community and also scale out too, you know, and, and touch other other med schools, other nursing conferences, um, other, you know, we spoke at um, a racism in medicine conference. And, and um, so, awesome. so yeah, it, it's, it's really, it's been cool to kind of combat um, that type of stigma and disparity that our community face. For me, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's really, always a, a catch 22 you know I, I'm, mm. I'm really proud to to um not have been admitted into a hospital for a complication of sickle cell disease since maybe uh 21 you know so that's 10 years that's 10 right you know I, that's I'm not saying i haven't had any like type of pain or anything like that um but uh, I haven't been, a, I, I've gone to the ED before, but I haven't had to be admitted. Um, so going to the ED is a whole different experience because hmm. I've experienced the racism as a, as a kid. I've experienced mm -hmm. people calling me a malingerer in terms of like me faking my pain, mm -hmm. um, as a, as a, as a kid. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like, the, the, and, and, and I just want, and these are things about children, right? We, we believe children way more, you know, like their children are cute, you know, like right. when, when they're in pain, like we don't want them to be in pain. Right. right. You know? mm -hmm. So, um, but for some reason, sickle cell patients who are, or children, right. sickle cell who are children, um, 
they have these labels as, as soon, yes. you know, as they, as they hit the healthcare system. Right. Right. Um, so whenever I go to the ED, it's just like, ah, uh, like mm-hmm. do I, can I manage this at home? That's my, always my first question <laughs> because right. I'm not there. I, I, I promise, I promise people, Kyle, Kyle Smith <laughs> is not <laughs> in the ED. Um, unless it is exactly what it says on that door, an emergency. <laughs> yeah, right. right yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's going. Yeah. It's going to be an emergency. Um, so, just thinking about all right, past experiences. Mm-hmm. Why? Why do I have to think about what it is I'm going to wear? Yeah. <laughs> before I get there. Yeah. Right. Like uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm in I'm in excruciating pain. I want to mm-hmm. be as comfortable as possible. Mm-hmm. I'm comfortable in these sweats. I'm comfortable mm-hmm. in my hoodie. Um, I'm, you know, but you know what? Let me put on a t-shirt maybe, or like a zip up or something like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't even experience any type of though, any, any type of, of uh, initial racism or biases right. um, that, that people have. Um, and it shouldn't have to be that. I should be able to go no, there and, and, and wear whatever your I want to You know, like I should be able to to, to wear, you know, Tim's, like wh- whatever, yes. right? whatever makes me most comfortable at the time. Um, Tim's wouldn't be the most comfortable. Just saying, uh, I love Tim's. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you should be able to wear Uggs if you want to. Yeah, exactly, right? Um, so, but these are things that I have to think about um, mm-hmm. and, and it builds an anxiety and for me, stress is a, a trigger for, for pain right. crises, right? So it's just like making my pain even worse. Even worse um, yeah. So it's just like a whole vicious cycle. It's, it's, it's just a vicious cycle that um, myself and, and probably everybody living with sickle cell disease um, has experienced. Yeah. It's cool. funny that you say that because um, I did a brief stint in the ED and that was where, so I remember learning about sickle cell when I was in middle school or high school. I don't know why this lesson stands out to me. My teacher was, I guess, just phenomenal. She like had us look at our nails and had us imagine the like top of our nail, the crescent being in our bloodstream and like did this whole yeah. visual explanation. And I've never forgotten it. And then I never dealt with anybody that I knew outwardly had sickle cell disease for the rest of my life until I got to RED and they taught me about pain crises and how like, you know, prioritize those patients. You need to go in and see them because they're going to get an IV first. Um, Just things that I was like, why? I don't understand. And I remember this mom saying to her kid, like, don't ask for any food. I don't want them to think we're here for that. You are. And like, I want them to know it's true pain. And I was like, what? Like, yeah. You know? And it, and then it made me think, cause there was also this fine line, kind of like you're saying, and there's a, a meme or a post um, when all of a child at the protest of like, when do I go from being cute to a threat? And it feels that way in the ED. It's like kids having a, a pain crisis up to a certain age, it seems like true pain. And then there's an age where it seems like, nah, you, you should know they're just here because they want the, like, and, and I could see it and I was down there and I was like, wait, what? Like, what's the difference between this six year old and this 16 year old with the same diagnosis and who are we to judge their pain? And so it's interesting hearing that perspective and like having gone through that experience, like I said, I had never, and like even still day to day, it's usually a commingling situation like it's not like we're treating the sickle cell disease specifically but like that was my first and I was like whoa what is happening 
but even today still learning about like how much it disproportionately affects these black and brown children and just like you said like they have to think about like mom saying don't get a snack like i want a snack i'm at work and i want a snack like (laughs) if your kid wants a snack like how sucky does that feel to say like don't ask i don't want them to think we're here for food we we know why we're here but like dang like you know and now you're instilling that as a parent you're worried about that when you should just be worried about getting your child feeling better and like you're worried about the stigmas that may Mm -hmm. be placed against them because they're in a crisis and you know it's just so crazy and hunger might add to that crisis who knows how long they're going to be waiting you know like right uh it's just so unfortunate yeah it's unfortunate but i mean and it's it's so common too and i think Mm -hmm. that's like the even sadder part you know and and um you know us us being black too uh just adds like that whole nother layer you know what i mean and, mm-hmm. and just, mm-hmm. um it, it's 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 so sad you know that that makes it me is. really sad to, to think about you know um a parent who is there with her you know their their child right. uh, to get them relief but is so fearful right. uh, of them not being believed um yes. of what their pain is that they <laughs> they they uh tell them to to not eat <laughs> you know not, don't ask drink. for a snack like yeah, don't I was ask like, for anything to drink you know they, they deprive them of some some right. like a like a basic, basic need exactly right yeah yeah that's it's, oh wow. my gosh it's making me think of like insensitive comments that i that i have overheard people say mm-hmm. to my mm-hmm. patients or the patients have told me themselves um specifically like kyle was saying in apheresis we use ginormous needles, y'all. I cannot stress this. They're enough. huge. Like, I'm talking about 15 gauges or lower, like fire hoses. Okay? How, how, yeah, how thick? Yeah, yeah. Tell people how thick they are. Super thick. So if a kid has ports, we're using yes, large core needles large. that are like mm-hmm. bigger than, like, it almost reminds me, I'm not joking, of like, um, pasta. <laughs> like, yeah. how you would find, like, it, the bore is so large you can fit mm-hmm. a whole thing of spaghetti within the hole of the needle yeah so it's huge and if a kid has ports we're having to access that way and then the needle stick out mm-hmm. uh, with the whole contraction on it about i would say about four to five inches out of their chest so it's like a needle with obviously stuff attached but yes. if a kid has ports if you're not a medical professional they're um like access points that are underneath the skin that are placed mm-hmm. surgically placed but they are in the upper chest area like cl- kind of close to your collarbone so if you can imagine you have to like lay flat to get access it's mm-hmm. just a very frightening experience it's and a I'm very frightening experience two three four five six years old um yes. yeah coming onto our program and uh Having to coach somebody through that when you've never seen it before. Like, um, okay, y'all are doing this to children? Hello. I went, for, <laughs> literally, when I say my, this year, this year was my first time. And not like this year, we're what, in, what month is September? Like this year, like this summer, 2020. I was like, oh, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> they literally, you could crochet. Like they were, they just felt that hard. And this child that I was um, supporting through it was probably around seven, eight years old. And it was just like, she got this so often, but still it's scary. It's, it's a tough experience. And then you just, you're at the, and you're in this room with these big machines. It's a serious, I mean, any procedure is serious. Anytime you're going into a body, 
it's serious. So the nurses have a backup, like a a co-nurse with them, like supporting Mm -hmm. them through this. Like it's, it's just a lot. Also that like, and and, I mean, we, we call it the washer machine because you know, your, your blood goes in, it gets cleaned, I guess. And then it cycles through like, but me not knowing like what's actually happening as somebody like I'm learning so much right now today. Um, (laughs) But thinking about like, you know, this kid has these giant needles like, oh my gosh, it's just coming out of their chest. Of them, yeah. And they have to get this. Like she and was going, she was going once every, once a day for a certain amount of time. And then it moves, I guess she goes less often now, but like, I was just like, oh my gosh, what? Yeah. Yeah. If they don't have cords, they get IVs. And like Kyle said, most of the IVs go into their AC, which is like the crook of your, like the opposite side of your elbow, if you will, in your arm. So um, because we need a large vein for that. So you're asking kids to sit straight and then it's a straight needle. It's not like an IV where they remove the needle and you just have the plastic part left in. No. The metal needle is in your arm Stays for these in. three, four hours. So um, it, it, it's a lot to ask of a kid. But yeah, I remember specifically an adult coming onto our program. Uh, adult being like 16. We consider them adults. Coming onto the program and this person had already had tattoos. Okay, all kinds of things. This person, it was a male, was crying from fear of this procedure. And I got it because I'm yeah. 31 years old. And if you came at me with the needle, it's something's going to happen. Okay. Right. But people were saying, making comments of like, you already have tattoos. What are you afraid of? And you did that. You've been through this. What are you afraid of? This and is I'm not like, your experience, person. It's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not. And I get that you're trying to think of things to be helpful, but I'm like, I had to pull people aside and be like, that's not helpful when you say that. No. Yeah. No. And, and also as someone who who has it, had apheresis and also has tattoos, um, completely different experience. <laughs> <laughs> So Megan, Kyle, and I had a lot to talk about this episode. So you don't just get one, you get two. Tune in next week for our second part of Kicking It With Kyle, talking about Sickle Cell Awareness Month. See you then.